You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Visit bpn.fm to discover more. Welcome to the Spotlight Series, an in-depth look at those making a difference in the arts and beyond. I'm your host, Patrick Oliver-Jones, and in this first season, I'll be putting the spotlight on a wonderful nonprofit organization called Only Make Believe. For more than 20 years, they have brought interactive theater into children's hospitals, special education schools, and care facilities with the goal of inspiring joy and imagination in those who have medically fragile conditions and developmental disabilities. One of the most important skills for any OMB actor is to be able to read a room and adapt and making sure that everybody gets a voice and gets to express themselves and encouraging that. For our fifth episode, we will hear from Maria Paramore, a bilingual stage and screen actress and teaching artist. Growing up in Madrid, Spain, and later on in Georgia, she eventually moved to New York City in 2005. After years of establishing herself here, she eventually learned about Only Make Believe, and joined the acting company in 2018. We'll talk about her work in voiceover, films, and commercials, as well as get a behind-the-scenes look at what OMB does in these interactive theater sessions at the various facilities and hospitals and what it really means to the children. Welcome, Maria. It is always so nice to meet other people from Only Make Believe and connect in this way. Thank you for being on the podcast. Thank you for having me, of course. (laughs) Well, what I love about your story is that it comes from this multicultural background, being born in Spain, but yet your, your family heritage is Mexican, you lived in Georgia. So many cultures and backgrounds come with you as far as uh, growing up. What was your theater experience or did you get much when you were living in Spain? I I feel like I got little um, in terms of going to the theater. Uh, I saw uh, street performances and and puppet shows and and street performance in Europe was very popular um, in in the parks and such. But we mostly watched a lot of cinema and a lot of um, uh, movies, musical theater movies, American movies that my mom tried to make sure that we watched so that our English would get better. And, um, And my father was a, a movie buff so we would go to to the movies very often uh almost every other weekend so i i it wasn't until i was in high school until i was about 14 years old that there was an after school program in in my high school that that started that an actress from madrid uh started and i joined that and we did a classic the house of bernala alba and, and anybody knows i i played adela the youngest one and it was the most dramatic I just I loved it. I it was I knew I wanted to be an actor, so I just ate that opportunity up. Was that your first time to really take on a character at that age? Um, it was my first formal play, play that you rehearsed. Aside from little, you know, in preschool and first grade kind of acts that you put together, the teachers would put together with their students. But aside from that, I um I I grew up creating shows with friends we'd you know we'd put up our own creations of performances we'd dance and we'd sing and and we'd create stories with different pockets of friends we did that growing up 
which I assumed was something that every human being did growing up. Because <laughs> I brought this up at a at a at a I don't know why I brought it about I was talking about storytelling and about imagination and, and like how we as humans are dri driven to stories. We're driven by stories and has, that's how we learn, that's how we pass things on. You know, and I said, you know, like when we were kids and we just created our own stories and put them on for our families. And so folks looked at me like, I, uh, I, I never did that. <laughs> and I was like, what? Right, we're, we're, we, we're the weird ones sometimes who do these things that we just assume, well, didn't you do that? Right, Right. I guess so. But that doesn't mean <laughs> that they don't enjoy it, of course, uh, you know, watching theater and such. But I just assume that's, I don't know, because humanity has moved on through storytelling. Of course, yeah. What I assumed. Now, <laughs> with this upbringing in Spain and creating these stories, as you said, with your friends, was it influenced by the American cinema that you would watch? Or was it influenced more by the Spanish culture or a mix and blending? Where do these stories come from? That's a really good question. I think it just, honestly, it just came out of boredom and, and, and wanting to explore fantasies. Um, you know, kids' adventures. I mean, I remember watching shows like movies like The Goonies or Indiana Jones <laughs> and, and wanting to go on adventures like that. So we just kind of created our own magic kind of shows of, of like what happens here. And and some were influenced by movies like um, White Christmas or Mary Poppins or, or Dirty Dancing. <laughs> we just put on... <laughs> dance shows and, and uh, you know, quote unquote musicals. I remember hanging out with some friends. Um, actually, these were, um, my mom had a group of American friends and these were those kids. Um, and we'd, uh, we did this kind of MTV video kind of thing where they dressed up my sister as Madonna. And we had this whole entire like, like documentary style interviews and stuff and we were just kind of seeing what we saw on television and and recreating that yeah 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 i mean i mean and that's especially when when we're kids that's so much of what theater is we we see it we imitate it you know if we we have to play the giant or if we have to play the princess or you know whoever we have to portray we just kind of like okay well i think they do this. And so we just kind of pretend. Oh, wow. Exactly. I mean, and you, ju you just said it. Pretend, pretending is a game. I, I remember literally saying, let's play pretend. Let's mm -hmm. play pretend. And we'd pretend and we'd come up with the characters. What are we going to pretend? Uh, let's pretend that we are climbing a mountain and there's a, a ogre chasing us. And then we'd randomly pick somebody who was at recess, the farthest away. And we'd name them the ogre they had no clue but we just had to get as, as far away <laughs> from them as possible and then you know be sneaky and and that was pretending using our imaginations creating drama out of nothing because our lives were just you know at that point in recess in school they were not dramatic <laughs> so we were just making it up well, well yeah i mean i remember whenever i would be in the playground and you know the the jungle gym bars where you have to like go across you know one rung at a time and of course what am I trying to avoid? The lava underneath. Of course. Of course. Of and course. if you fall, you die, and you, then you have to die this agonizing death. Yes, and and you were you were holding your breath and and just oh, yes. making sure that was that was dramatic. 
Right, right. It was definitely, you know, life or death situations. Yeah, that we create. Yeah, yeah. It's all about this heightened reality when we're kids. And just, it's interesting that you bring up like Indiana Jones and those kind of adventures, because I remember seeing Superman and coming out of there, my chest was puffed up. And I was like, that's what I want to be. You know, I want to fly. I want to go do things. I want to save the day, you know, and, and it's this idea of being so much more about just being, you know, when you're a kid, obviously, you just want to hurry up and be an adult. And so part of that is taking on these attitudes and these personas of, of what you think adulting is. Yes, true, true. And the great thing about them is like, then the bell rings and you're like, okay, the game's over. And now, you know, <laughs> right. we're, we're all safe. We're not going <laughs> to end right. up in lava. <laughs> <laughs> well, at 16, you moved from Madrid to Georgia. Were you able to keep up um, and do more theater as you moved to Georgia? Yeah, I did my darndest because I knew that's the career I wanted eventually. And I already thought, you know, in two years, I knew I would graduate in high school. And I had already planned that I was going to go to the Royal Academy of um, uh, Theater in Madrid. And I just I, I had this sort of path that I thought I would have. And then my my mom, she never intended to stay in Spain. So so the time that we had, we were moving back to where she was born and raised and Unfortunately, my my huge high school did not have a theater, but there was a drama club. And of course, I joined that right away. And we mounted plays in the lobby and you know, made up our own risers and stuff. So um, I wish and, you know, I mean, I we did the I did the best I could in terms of like getting, you know, and I ate that up and and I had a, a lovely teacher, Miss Gresham, who, who was encouraging and and she made sure that there was a drama club. So I am appreciative of that because there was nothing else really in the small town. And it was kind of far to go to Atlanta. And too many things were happening during that move. And it was a big jump for everybody. So that was a challenge. Was it a cultural shift as well? Absolutely. Yes. My my mom's side of family are from Georgia. but And we visited many times. Uh, every other year we'd go for the summer or um, Christmas. So I knew where I was going, but it's it wasn't my town and that I grew up. And when you have your friends, you're 16, you've already built a, a, a young life. And it was very, very challenging and difficult and sad. Yeah, to be 16 and starting all over again. Especially, I mean, as you say, friendship is like huge. All those yeah. relationships that you had. I mean, obviously, you'd been learning English. So I, I assume the language barrier wasn't as great. My English was perfect. Uh <laughs> <laughs> I'll say that my, you know, grammar, everything for the most part, I make, I even still make funny translation things. Sometimes my accent though was, you know, it was a Spanish accent. My English was pseudo British, pseudo Southern mosh posh. <laughs> so language barrier, there was none. Um, I did have a very thick Spanish accent for sure. Um, and that kind of made things a little challenging as I went into college and started working. I, you know, you just kind of are one thing. And when you move to this country, no matter who you are, where you came from, you're an other. You are an other. And so I didn't realize what an other I was until I moved here. And um, yeah, so that's part of being an actor too. Woof. Did theater help with that at all as far as like, you know, being at least accepted among your other theater folk? Yeah. I mean, this is going to sound extremely, but I'm going to say it. It helped that I was talented, that I actually had talent. Um, 
I'll say that everybody in the, especially the drama club kids, everybody, we all loved theater. We all wanted to create and collaborate. You know, Miss Gresham, she she fomented like a, a, a nice little club for everybody who wanted to be in theater, to do theater, you know, and it's, if anything, theater is the most inclusive art form and inclusive business in a way until it's not. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's definitely one that strives to be more so than than some others. Uh, I I was very happy to be part of that. Joining the drama club and then and doing sports kept me from feeling the doom of my loss of home. Right. Well, fast forwarding a few years, it's 2005, and now you're ready to move to New York. Was this always your goal? I mean, obviously, there's a lot of theater there in Georgia from the various theaters in Atlanta and outside Atlanta. But I assume New York was the main goal. Yeah, I always wanted to live in New York. I'd visited several times. We'd gone when come visit when I was a kid. Um, I knew that this is where there was the most theater. It was most vibrant, most diverse city in the world um the most similar to maybe a european city like madrid um i've learned how it's just like 18 times more energetic and like woof, new york wow <laughs> you, you really have to want to be here um yeah, for sure so yeah i you know i just thought i also after five years of working in atlanta and having a good good acting uh streak of five years and doing wonderful plays and, and other things, commercials or voiceover or, or this or that. And um, I just, I knew that I wanted to come to New York and I actually wanted to go to grad school and, and I thought I'd just go ahead and do it before I wouldn't, you know? Yeah. It's like, take the plunge before you get cold feet and want to back out. Yeah. Because that's its own shift going from Georgia to New York. That's another cultural and uh, <laughs> city shift. Was that a big move or did you feel prepared for that? Yeah, I felt, I mean, I, it was a big move, but I was ready for it. I was kind of ready to like uh, explore. I think the only thing that I, I didn't have much of a plan. Um, I just, I was just, I'm just going to go to New York and and figure it out and start auditioning and, and doing other, you know, doing what I could. I'd get a restaurant job or whatever it is. That, and I had another small part-time job that I was doing at the time. And there was performative. So that was cool. And I, I, I knew people. So I met people. And I was I just started to do as many auditions as I could. And um, yeah, but I didn't really have a trajectory. Um, and I, I'm kind of a person that has gone with the flow a lot in my life. Uh, as long as I'm performing and feeling right about the work, like I'm, I, I enjoy it, but I don't, I haven't had more like much of a outlook or perspective or, or fine or final goal. And so I think I kind of need to do that at some point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we have to figure out what we want to be when we grow up and at different yeah, phases exactly. in our life, it's something new. It's a different goal. It's a different place that we are in our life. Yeah, and, and truth is that I have, like, I, I feel like I accomplished some of my dreams. It's just the, you know, like, I wanted to live in New York. I wanted to be an actress. Um, and and I am. Um, but there's such so many degrees, right, of how, how to live and, and be an actor. Um, so anyway, to answer your question, 
I was ready for it, did I know what I was getting into? No. Yeah, I mean, it was the same for me. I had visited before too, but once you live here, it's a different animal to adjust to and figure out. And with the auditions, that's its own beast as well, as far as like finding auditions, getting to those, or you mixing it up between theater and TV and film? No, I mostly focused on theater. Every now and then I auditioned for a voiceover or a commercial or stuff once I got an agent for that. Um, but I, I focus, theater was always my passion. I'm being the, the community aspect of being in, in a collaborative effort for, for a while to create a world in three weeks or more if, if we're, <laughs> if we're lucky and, yeah. and to sort of collaborate as well every night or every show with an audience who's, there's this interchangeable energy that tells the story together i don't know i there's just something about theater that has always been most appealing to me um i'll say this i don't know if you anybody knows about the love languages but uh quality time is my love language and so i much rather be present in a room with people um which part of film and tv is that it just goes by so fast. Right. And there's like right. 10 times more people. And there's so many different people doing different things that when I'm on a set for a commercial or, you know, web series, TV, whatever it is. Yeah. I find that I don't tend to get to meet everyone. I kind of know the director. Right. I know my fellow actors. And then maybe one or two other. <laughs> it the, still feels event. like a collaborative effort. And it's it's still unifying in that sense. But but it it's, it's so in and out right mm-hmm. or for me the artistic recompense is just more flighty yeah well it has to happen much quicker i mean that they want it in two three maybe four takes and then, mm-hmm. and then you got to move on right you mm-hmm. can't just sit down with it for a few hours and explore and do different things you got yeah <laughs> you, or talk too much name. back and forth like you know outside of her with your colleagues like look i was thinking about this th- this between the relationship of this and like this moment if we could go this way or this or what do you think do you think you know, that, that kind of, that, that creativity that's just exciting. Well, when it comes to Only Make Believe, what was it that introduced you to this organization? Uh, my friend Ryan Duncan, I had done uh, one of the first plays that I did here at the Mint Theater in New York City. He, Ryan Duncan and I did a show, uh, uh, Hemingway play, The Fifth Column. And years later, we stayed in touch. And um, obviously, he knew I was bilingual. I have an extensive clowning background as well uh, with children in pediatric hospitals. And so when, when OMB was looking for uh, more actors... Uh, five years ago, he thought of me and he said, Hey, I, I work for this organization. Check them out. They're looking for actors. I think you might enjoy it. And I think they, you know, you would be a great fit. And so, of course, I researched, I, I read the the breakdown, what it is. And I just was like, Oh, this is grand. This is just one of the most amazing work for um, giving back to a community and, and just fomenting new new theater goers and 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 learning and empowering uh children through through theater i just i i thought it was the grandest organization and and way to make theater 
Well, when it comes to those sessions, these uh, six-week sessions where you go into facilities, what is it like that first day? Meeting these children for the first time, you're doing a skit for them for the first time. What is that day like? It is super exciting. And we we get, uh, prior to going to any site, we get a breakdown of how many, roughly how many kids we're going to see and uh, what kind of facility it is, if it's a mental health facility, if it's a family center, a, a school or a hospital environment, and, and if they have any disability or um, any, any different forms, forms of speaking um, and communication skills. So we, we get a lot of information. And so we kind of get an idea of who, who we might meet and how we can engage with them most successfully. And then we we usually go in, now we go in with the first show, which is Imagination Unlocked, which is a new show that started uh, this past year. Uh, but it's a, it's about unlocking one's imagination. And we take the kids in, in, in an, on an adventure and they get to participate. And it's very sensory. So we have a lot of, all of our shows are, are very sensory, whether in sound or activities or things that can be felt. Um, and so we take them in a, on a journey that they get to be part of and to solve a major issue, a problem Like one of our actors has lost their imagination. So we have to find it back. Um, so it's an, it's an introduction to theater through theater of creativity and imagination. And it sounds like that this is also a way to ease the children into what the next six weeks are going to be like. Yeah, ab- absolutely. Yes. And we start our shows with on with our only make believe theme song and, and letting them know that we're going to invite them to participate if they so choose. And, and, and that show, yeah, there's the expectation that that this is, this is how we make theater. This is where the stage is and wh- who we are. We're actors and we're wearing costumes and they get to wear costumes and that they get to keep, which volunteers create for us. Th- then they they kind of get used to that song that we sing at the beginning at the end so it's it reinforces who we are and what we do with them so now they recognize when they see when we say only make-believe they know we're going to pretend and we're going to go on a, a story we're going to be part of a an adventure get creative and maybe they don't think this but they the the most important idea is that they get empowered um that they they get to participate and solve problems and collaborate and work in teams and um, succeed. And I assume that within the uh, storytelling itself, as you go through these six weeks, there's varying levels of participation. Some will just sit back and watch. Some will actually get up and wear the costumes and be a character, whatever it is. And part of it is adjusting to the kids while still getting the story across and still, you know, finding a resolution and going through the climax of the story and all that, but it adjusts to the kids, right? Absolutely. I think one of the most important skills for any OMB actor is to be able to read a room and adapt. And even within one room of children, we have kids who who might be the one raising up their hands and jumping up, up and down, and then others who might just be watching, but want to answer some sometimes we have kids who, who are answering the question with their tablet so making sure that everybody gets a voice and gets to express themselves 
So that is a, a big part of the actors kind of reading who who's out there, who who wants to participate and their way to participate and encouraging that um, taking turns. The, the kids are interacting with themselves as well. It's not just you, the actors, but then it's also about incorporating the children to play with each other. Yes, exactly. Yes, we bring them up sometimes one by one when they're participating. Sometimes we do it in a group. Sometimes we do some uh, at a time. Uh, we take offers from from various different kids, and then we'll incorporate that into the story. So it's it, yes, there's a lot of remembering, <laughs> right, keeping right. up with what yes, keeping up with what was said, and and that that offer and that offer, and then weaving it all, it all together within the show while still keeping the show going. <laughs> and so when it comes to that sixth week, your last day, do you see a lot of transformation of the kids by that sixth week? We do. It, the answer is yes. <laughs> that There are times when you, we've shown up on day one and again, depending on the population, but there's either this incredible, there, there can be either uh, shyness and taken aback or, or just not wanting to participate, being really shy or also just skeptical or you know, for sometimes depending on the psychosocial issues or, or the age of the children kind of being like um, too cool for it. But uh, pretty much by the second show, they, they know what's coming. And even at, by the end of the first show, they're just, they're just jumping on board because it's fun and we're having fun. And we're grown people living our best lives right there and through imagination and that that kind of you know trickles through that's that's um contagious in a good way <laughs> so yeah by the by the sixth week it's really great to see people for flourish children who who were who couldn't speak who didn't or who just felt like they sometimes you you feel like they they don't feel brave enough uh even if they're not shy they're just scared to speak up in front of their peers and they're bringing offers left and right or jumping up or volunteering to dance in front of everybody when in day one they wouldn't even wear a costume. Oh my gosh, those turnarounds, it's priceless because you know they've they've grown. I love that. I love that. Well, I so appreciate the work that you do with Only Make Believe and thank you for joining me on the podcast and sharing your stories. Oh, my pleasure. To learn more about Only Make Believe and how you can support them and be a part of their mission to help children, then please visit onlymakebelieve.org for more information. I'm Patrick Oliver-Jones, and be sure to join me next week with another member of the OMB family here on the Spotlight Series. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theater Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theater professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now 
and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org, because only together we rise.